How long have you been back to the office? I've been back for about uh, two months. I think we started in July, 50% of the time. So we're there every other day. Uh, January. Yes, I, I mean, I can work from home, but I prefer to come to the office. So it's flexible. Absolutely. Welcome to Changing Places, brought to you by Avis and Young. In Changing Places, we explore our continuing and complex relationships with the built world around us. I'm your host, Miriam So. From Los Angeles to Vancouver to London, workers are putting their sweatpants in the closet, squeezing into their best work clothes, and heading out into their offices again for the first time in nearly two years. Not everyone is ready or willing to go back to their former work lives. However, companies such as Goldman Sachs are requiring all employees to come back to the office full-time. According to the Vancouver Sun, up to 80% of workers who experienced work-from-home life are reluctant to give it up completely. 80%. In this episode of Changing Places, we're going to explore what happens when work from home meets office culture, something many of us have had to contend with for almost two years. And if 80% of workers want to continue working at home in some capacity, what does it really mean for the future of the office? I'm so happy to have two guests today who can help us unpack and understand the future of the workplace. Our guests are real estate and workplace expert Sheila Botting and James Porter, a market-leading consultant with a focus on delivering complex commercial and operational strategies for clients. They will take us through the myriad of changes we've experienced so far and what they believe lies ahead for workers and offices when private and professional spaces collide. Sheila Botting, James Porter, welcome to Changing Places. Sheila, I want to begin by getting your point of view on how much work in the office versus working from home has changed since 2019. Everything has changed since before the pandemic. You know, I'll call it the before state, before pandemic. Um, people would typically go into the office most days a week, call it four days, five days, whatever it would be for their uh, work product, the end game. The second that the pandemic took place after March uh, 2020, the whole world changed. The world changed that people were able to do their work, their heads down work, their collaborative work, typically from their home and or remote locations. Essentially, the world went through the largest change management exercise ever. And because of that, the notion of return to office will be very different. There's, of course, different levels based on different communities and, and different markets, but it's been anywhere from 10% return to office through to 40% return to office. That's still way less than 2019 before the pandemic. James, I'd like to get your take on how much work in the office versus working from home has changed since 2019. Yeah, thanks, Miriam. Well, a huge amount of change, whirlwind of change, isn't it, that COVID's brought upon us. The biggest area of change I can think of, speaking to you know clients out in the market at the moment, is a whole raft of activities that you can undertake at home that actually add to the outcomes of the activities that you're delivering. And vice versa, there's a raft of activities that really lend themselves specifically to the office environment. And so that definition of task and where to get the best outcome for that task. We took for granted pre-COVID, everything happened in the office. And now we're able to sort of segment our, our weekly and monthly routines of, of activities into locations. Where best place? Where do I get the best outcome for that task? Is it at home? Is it on the train on the way in in the morning doing some emails? 
Is it at home one-on-one or a bit of quiet time for myself to have a bit of a think about whatever that activity might be? So that definition we never had previously, but now we're able to apply that definition by location, by task. What trends are you seeing today as workplaces try to lure people back to physical spaces? Every employer, in fact, every building owner would like the opportunity for people to return to the office more than they have been over the last, you know, 18 months or so. So I think that what that means is that employers now say, what do we need to do to have people return to work more frequently? And so our workplace practice is really looking at that lure back to the office. What is the definition of the workplace in the future? Is it the same old traditional office, you know, private office workstation, or does it become much more of a collaborative teaming environment? The overall user experience, the experience for the employee to get together with their colleagues and clients and be able to deliver work in a different way. And then from what you've seen so far, James, how can companies uh, use issues such as collaboration, brand awareness, or behavior to lure people back to the workplace? I think, um, you know, going back to that war on talent piece, I think people are expecting that now. You don't have to look too far as an employee to find out what your peers are doing, whether that's organizational peers or professional peers. And I think people want to put themselves in an environment to succeed. And I think there are some hard metrics around Uh, success and what that means in terms of different communications, development, collaboration among small teams, among small cohorts. And the business, the organization that you're working for has almost an accountability now to be able to create that environment around you. So that war on talent is critical. It's not only critical to get that right for the organization themselves, but for the individual looking to be successful in their career, I think they're demanding that from their employees. Can you explain the fate of the corporate workplace to our listeners? Redefining the corporate workplace becomes the opportunity, certainly for the real estate community and for employers. And you say, what what does the future look like? How do people want to engage with their culture, with with their employer, with their work? And what we're finding, in fact, this trend was well in place long before the pandemic hit. And these new workplaces were designed based on a kit of parts. And that kit of parts would have typically anywhere from 20 to 30 different environments within the workplace. So there would be a batch of focus areas, whether that would be, um, you know, some type of private office or a workstation or a phone booth, whatever that is, in combination with collaborative areas, meeting rooms, teaming areas, pods where people could get together, booths and cafes. Suffice it to say, it's all about collaboration, teaming and employee amenities. And those amenities could include wellness rooms. It could include big social digital rooms. It could include a wide variety of opportunities. When you're mentioning amenities, I'm just thinking of all these big tech workplaces that were really big on wellness rooms and different things. And then the pandemic hit. Do you think there's going to be a a way to rework those types of amenities or will it be back to how it was? I think every employer calibrates that list of amenities to their specific population and, and the requirements of that population. And so before the pandemic, people were largely in the office many hours. And so therefore amenities like yoga studios or wellness rooms or whatever it was became very popular so that employees could embrace the combination. 
Will that take place in a post-pandemic world? I think it's going to take a long time before people return 100% back to the office. And so those types of facilities may be um, released instead, you know, maybe people can create collaboration areas or teaming areas out of those instead of instead of a traditional wellness room. But again, I'm only speaking at a very high level. Each organization will need to assess their own requirements and their own marketplace to sort out what the, the best fit is for that, that specific requirement. Well, can you explain the fate of the corporate workplace to our listeners? That's a big one. That's a big one, Miriam. Historically, you had space because you needed to have it. It was a, literally almost a liability on your balance sheet and a liability that was slow to react. So something would happen, there would be disruption in the market, and you'd end up with vacant space, redundant space, leases that were onerous, et cetera, et cetera. And so the property side of your business was always the laggard, was always trying to catch up with the front end of your strategy, the front end of your curve in the market. Well, now that is completely different. So long gone are those, I'm going to have a a strategy for my portfolio of offices, whether that's in one country or in 20 countries. I've got a portfolio of, of assets that historically I'd have a six, seven, eight, 12, 15 year investment cycle on capital budget, refresh, et cetera. Now that horizon for most organizations, even the real big ones, it's probably no more than 18 months. So the turnaround in these strategies now and the time which these strategies actually run for is so much quicker because the pace of the client's market is so much more fast-paced now. You don't know, big organizations don't know where they're going to be operating. That pace is so much quicker. And so the physical strategy, the portfolio strategy, the property strategy has got to be so agile now that it needs to keep up with all of those things, it can't be handcuffs. It needs to have the agility to act as an enabler to allow the organization to respond to its market needs in the way it needs to. Well, when it comes to the fate of the corporate workplace, James, are there any key takeaways we need to consider? Well, first of all, uh, it, it's far from dead. I, I, I think the importance and the criticality of having a quality environment that enables your business to drive brand awareness, drive the behaviours that it's trying to achieve, enables a great environment for collaboration and, and outcomes for clients. So there's a lot of organisations, most organisations at the moment, trying to uh, take stock and reevaluate what the office space needs means to them. And that means going back and looking at what their behaviours mean to them and what their cultures mean to them and what those defined activities are that need to happen in the office space, all those things we've taken for granted for the last 100 years. A lot of organisations are going through those things. But I think what the output for most of those things will be good quality and an agile working environment will come back with a vengeance further on down the line. I want to talk a little bit about uh, office spaces and how they're designed to accelerate the human experience and how that comes into play. We'll take a quick break. We're going to think about that for a moment and we'll be right back. Do you have a preference for working from home versus going to the office? I have a preference for flexibility because some mornings, some days I really want to work from home. Have you noticed any cultural and or visual work changes? Well, I am someone who started working at my current job during the pandemic. So, you know, I can't really compare the before and the after. One thing I have noticed is a lot of people don't come to the office. It's just been pretty empty. A lot of the spaces are very empty. And um, I think now they're trying to see if maybe they can save space. So they're trying to get us all together in one spot. 
Before we delve into the future of work as a workplace, Changing Places, brought to you by Avis and Young, continues to explore and question our complex relationship with the built world around us. Do you enjoy using your home as an office, commissary, and conference room? Do you yearn for a desk in an office with more privacy? Or do you want to return to pre-COVID offices and workspaces without ever using a video conferencing app again? Well, stay tuned for the next portion of Changing Places, brought to you by Avis and Young. I'm Miriam Sobe. Let's continue with our guests, Sheila Botting and James Porter. Sheila, before our break, we started to discuss the workplace and the fate of the corporate office. I wonder how office spaces designed to accelerate the human experience come into play, or are they complementary? So every employer and or organization has the opportunity to really pivot toward the employee experience or the human experience. And when you're designing your workplace of the future, you know, you, you carefully map out what that employee journey is or the user journey. And that includes both the virtual experience, how we are collaborating online together right now right through to the physical in-office experience. So think about when when you're in college or university where you would move from class to class based on the requirement for the day. Well, the same thing could be true for your corporate office where you may move from a collaborative meeting area with say 20 or 30 people through to a small team area, through maybe you want a touchdown point with one other colleague. And so you don't necessarily need to have your name assigned to a specific type of function Rather, it becomes an overall campus environment that really highlights the experience. For the employee, that means you don't get bored sitting in the same cube farm every day. That means you engage with many different people in many different ways. Well, that that campus model sounds good to me. I mean, I'm just thinking about being able to move around and see different people and different departments and talk to to folks and, and work in different environments. It feels like it would be a lot more creative instead of just sitting in your cubicle. So these new workplaces, if you get them right, and obviously it takes a lot of work and research to get them right, and and also mistakes. You might try something that may not work, and you've got to recalibrate and pivot to something different. But when you get them right, the war for talent becomes everything. One organization that I worked with when they were recruiting in the local universities recruited 99 to 98% of the people who made job offers to in a very wildly competitive marketplace. So I think that what that says is the workplace and the design of the workplace and the user experience becomes everything in, in, in the future of work. And that sounds like it's a shift from perhaps, I don't want to say olden days, but back in the day when it was like, this is the building, you're just going to come work here. Now it's more structured towards uh, what is a comfortable environment. So the before scenario was all about the warehouse of workers, people processing paper from the left to the right of their desk. Imagine downtown, anywhere North American city, rows and rows of cubicles and a completely boring experience, right? <laughs> Typically, none of the space was dedicated to collaboration, teaming. You know, the coffee was dreadful. The workers would never see windows or the lighted day. Like everything about it, we're moving away from that example. Today, what we're doing is we're thinking about um, making sure that all of our, our colleagues and employees have access to daylight. So gone are the big ego private window offices, right? Um, we need to see access to daylight. We need fresh air. We need many different work environments, many different settings. We need to cater to my health and wellness. So making sure that I've got opportunities to walk around during the day. Many organizations are thinking about interconnected staircases, that you're walking up and down the stairs or using the base building staircases. So there's many, many opportunities to engage people in the workplace in very different ways from the traditional cubicle practice that was in, in the past. 
Is it fair to say that organizations have to be more flexible and there's been sort of a shift where employees now have the upper hand? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think so. I think it's been changing for a number of years now anyway. Uh, I, th- I think um, that war on talent, now that generation X and Y, which is coming in, in with a vengeance, I suspect, but that war on talent now is so pronounced in certain sectors. Everyone is playing in, in a very, very small pool. And the ability to attract to someone to come and join your business. If you can retain that individual for two to three years at the right part on the, of their trajectory in their career, you've done a really, really good job. That's, I think that's the reality. Again, I think the days of pulling someone in and you keep them for 10 or 12 years or longer, you know, those days have gone. They feel like they've gone, but in reality, they have gone. Uh, and actually, the flip side of that is as an employer, you don't necessarily want someone to come in and do 10 or 12 years. There'll be exceptions to that. People that come in and work their way through the business, that's a different journey. So disrupting yourself, having that growth mindset. We've got five people in a team. And we've been doing what we've been doing very well for the last five years. What are we missing? What don't we know? And how do we go and close that gap? Well, as someone who's been re- remote working for a while now, that sounds exciting. And I feel like I would go back if there were those kinds of features. <laughs> well, um, I, I do want to ask you about how you would advise a real estate firm building an office from the ground up. You, you were mentioning some of these new designs may have um, fresh air, open light. Would, would that be something that you would advise someone building an office for the future? Is there anything else you think would be uh, important to have? Oh, of course. There's a, there's a list of amenities that you might consider in building a new, in a new building. So if you're a developer, you're thinking about you're building a base building. So first of all, you wonder if, you know, the new buildings are, are, are much more interesting than some of the old buildings. So the focus on sustainability, net zero, ESG, becomes almost the, the 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 rationale for creating those buildings. And so then, you know, you think about the building systems and infrastructure that go behind that through from, you know, uh, rainwater collection for the gray water, you know, toilets and sinks and things in the building, right through to wastewater, right through to, to uh, cooling to be able to do the building heating and uh, uh, ventilation systems. So, Sustainability becomes one key piece of that net zero, tremendous opportunity. Then the physical space is being constructed, and that's where a real partnership develops between the building developer and the tenant or the occupier, and making sure that the creation of both the internal space aligns with the physical building. And so things like technology platforms throughout the building. So you've got wireless connectivity. So technology becomes the next kind of big guiding principle in terms of what these buildings are like. The third part would be around the amenities, the the bells and whistles, the key things that would drive employees to want to work in, in building ABC instead of XYZ. And so those amenities would include things like a highly animated, activated lobby in public space. So whether that includes the food experience in the lobby or below grade, um, some type of activation that, that has regular changes, perhaps with season or particular events. You know, the shopping mall industry got this a long time ago, where in the malls, they suddenly have all these great programs to get people engaged. You'll see the office building industry uh, pivoting toward that whole opportunity. And then within the building itself, some of the other physical features would be activating the base building staircase. You know, today they're typically 
dreadful concrete. Or what would happen if you painted them up and made them the wellness corridor where you can run up and down between the stairs so that you can become physically fit? And there's many other amenities like that that can be inserted into these buildings to make them much more engaging for people than the traditional cube farm. Will employees or employee unions have a say at all in what new offices of the future will look like? So the voice of the employee becomes very important when you start contemplating these future programs to design the physical workplace. And employers that get it right will have specific engagement programs that it could include employee surveys, employee focus groups. There's as much learning and development from both the employer and the employee side so that together they come up with the right program in the future. So absolutely engagement becomes everything, obviously within a financial framework and envelope so that it's fiscally responsible at the same time. Would you say that we've entered sort of this new realm of work, home, and a type of freedom that, that we didn't have before? So the nature of work, worker and workplace has changed forever. As we emerge from COVID and we embrace these fully hybrid, flexible, agile work environments, whatever you want to call them, you know, the notion that I can work anywhere, anytime, any place with anyone in any way that I want is in fact part of the future, is part of today. How do I do that? And so on my laptop every day, I can parachute in and out of, you know, today I've been in London, the UK, um, you know, New York, in Florida, in Vancouver. You can move anywhere very quickly from your laptop or you can physically go to those places. But the notion that I have choice about how I go about my business becomes everything that empowers the employee and is a huge success factor in the war for talent so that employees can then make that choice. And when it comes to, as as we continue to talk sort of about the future, do you think that home offices will eventually become more of a backup instead of a replacement for workspaces? Because I think early on in in the pandemic, there was a lot of conversations about this is the new normal. This is the wave of the future. Now that people know they can work from home, they're never going to want to go back in person. So I guess guess I'm just kind of wondering, is work from home fleeting rather than a permanent solution for folks? So the first thing is that I would say that one size does not fit all. So what you might want could be very different from what I want. So we can't kind of make the generalization statements that you're either going to be at home or in the office. That that it really, it boils down to each individual. But I also think that, you know, life has changed forever. You know, employees are empowered. We have the ability to work anywhere, anytime. So we're going to exercise our power. And if an employer doesn't allow us to be hybrid, then folks will vote with their feet. And you're seeing that play out right now where, you know, there's a high percentage of people looking for new roles and opportunities as we come out of the pandemic and the war for talent. Hybrid is what is going to win the day and empowering employees toward their own decisions and solutions, obviously within the realm of the business requirements. And so before we wrap up, are there any workplace trends you think we'll see in the next five years that we haven't touched on already? Um, I think 
the whole pivot toward the employee experience becomes everything. I know we've talked about the employee experience, but I think now we have to do a deep dive on stakeholder engagement, making sure that as we do things, we're pivoting strongly to what the employees and the folks on the ground really want out of their workplace experience. We want intellectual excitement. We want innovation. We want wellness. We want sustainability. We want it all. So therefore, how can we make sure that we include all of those elements in our future workplace, both virtual and physical? So it's a huge calling for employers to actually really carefully think through the value proposition of their organization and their culture for the employees. I think the biggest trend we'll see is this definition of activity and where best for that activity to be delivered. So whether it's two days a week, at the moment we we are we are cutting our time and our work in life in, in the office space by it's two days a week, no, it's 10 days of every month, or it's 40% of my working time. They're all the metrics I keep hearing from organizations. And actually the real metric is I undertake the right task in the right location. But we haven't found that rhythm and we're not looking at it in that way yet. But at the moment, we haven't got that level of maturity. And so we're cutting it uh, quite sort of binary at the moment. It's two days, it's four days, it's three days. But actually, there's a lot more we can do to to, uh, segment our office time by task. And I suspect that will come into play. Sheila Botting and James Porter, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today about workplaces and the offices of tomorrow. I, for one, will never look at traditional office space the same way again. And I think that's a good thing. The possibilities surrounding offices for the future are endlessly exciting. Speaking of exciting, next time we head to Los Angeles's Little Tokyo and the AT&T store at 1 Powell Street in San Francisco to discuss the current future and trends in dynamic retail experiences. I hope you'll come along for that journey. See places changing and evolving in your neighborhood? Are you and your team embracing changing environments in your own office space? Share your evolving spaces with us on social media using the hashtag Changing Places Podcast. I'm Miriam So, and this is Changing Places, brought to you by Avis and Young. Changing Places is brought to you by Avis and Young. Our producer is Andrew Pemberton Fowler. Our sound engineer is Patrick O'Neill. Additional production support is provided by Jar Audio.